a reading from various proverbs, wisdom and care and justice. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who will lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called happy. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. Do not withhold good for those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan, plan harm against your neighbor who lives trustingly beside you. Do not quarrel with anyone without cause when no harm has been done to you. Do not envy the violent and do not choose any of their ways. For the perverse are an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there is jubilation. By the blessing of an upright, a city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and will be repaid in full. The righteous know the rights of the poor. The wicked have no such understanding. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words that flow from my mouth be inspired by your Holy Spirit. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I've found this series on the book of Proverbs incredibly thought-provoking, inspirational, but also challenging in many ways, particularly reading through some of those long lists of wisdom, which really deserve more than just a passing glance. At the beginning of the series, I did say that we don't actually read Proverbs like they were intended anymore. We do read them like long lists or one-liners when the intention originally was for it to be wrestled with patiently in community. I do hope, though, this short series has given you the desire to treat Proverbs with a little more intentionality as well as a desire to wrestle in community with some of the big issues in Scripture and in our world. If you would like to get connected to a small group or a way of wrestling, please speak to any of our ministry team or email us and we'll get you ready to rumble. But all good things must come to an end. The framework that we adapted this series from was actually a 22-week long sermon series. So I know for sure in five weeks we haven't covered the whole gambit of what we could have covered in the book of Proverbs. But where we're landing today, I think, um, is a perfect way of pivoting into our next series, which is on Ephesians. Today, we're going to look at wisdom in care and justice. And this morning, I want to frame my message with two seemingly simple words. The first one comes from the first verse that Paul read for us, and the second 
word comes from the last verse that Paul read to us from our collection of Proverbs. The first is peace. And the second is no. These words really do start to come to life when we look at them in the context of the original Hebrew. Perhaps the first word you might be already somewhat familiar with, and I have in the past preached on the radical concept of shalom. But the second, yada, you may be less familiar with. Some translations translate yada as care for. So the righteous care for the rights of the poor and so the righteous know the rights of the poor. Know seems like a pretty innocuous word, doesn't it? But in the Bible, yada raises eyebrows. I wonder if you've heard of the expression to know someone in the biblical sense. If you haven't, it's when the Bible says that a particular male biblical character knows a particular female Bible character. I hope I don't need to fill in the gaps. Yada is the most intimate expression of knowledge in the Hebrew understanding. So to say the righteous know the rights of the poor isn't like saying that the righteous are aware or have an intellectual understanding of the rights of the poor. Proverbs takes it up a whole other level and says that you are not wise unless you are living an intensely passionate life committed to justice. And it's through understanding this idea of shalom that we understand and begin to understand what justice looks like. In our 2021 litigious world, we equate justice with law and order, which is certainly an element of biblical justice, but in biblical justice, there is so much more. Our selection of Proverbs included some from chapter three, which are part of creation wisdom. And these opening verses uh, that we heard this morning succinctly state that the ultimate intention of creation is shalom. Shalom is the webbing together of God, the webbing together of God and humanity, the webbing together of God and humanity and all of creation. I love this uh, particular definition of shalom. Shalom is universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, the rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fully employed, all in the arch of God's love. It's a pretty big concept, isn't it? Universal flourishing. So when there is elements of our world not flourishing, There's not shalom. Wholeness and delight. Shalom. The rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied. When people who 
are living in our world don't have their needs satisfied, we are lacking shalom. I like this bit too. And natural gifts are fully employed. Have you ever felt like you aren't using your gifts and talents? Well, you're actually lacking shalom. We see shalom when there is that interwovenness in the use of gifts and talents, all in the arch of God's love. In simple terms, shalom is the way the world ought to be and was created to be. So I'll take you back to our first week and we had a simple definition of wisdom, which was wisdom is to know how things really are Wisdom is to know how things really happen, but it's also to know what to do about them. So to know how things ought to be, I think is the key to applying wisdom. Wisdom is discerning the interwovenness, the shalom. Wisdom is maintaining the interwovenness, the shalom. Wisdom is sustaining that interwovenness, the shalom. Justice is putting shalom back together when it starts to unravel. Verse 27 starts to help us to understand what this justice can look like. But here again, the Hebrew isn't quite translated as powerfully into English. The word good isn't just being nice and lovely. In Hebrew, it refers to tangible, practical things, not just emotions and pleasantries. But more than that, it means the best of our tangible, practical things. The word word for he, in Hebrew for the expression those to whom it is due is one long Hebrew word which I'll pronounce terribly mibalor which means the owner or the master so this proverb tells us that we should not withhold our best from the one who owns our best You notice that it doesn't say we keep the best or the most for ourselves. It doesn't say that we give what we don't need or what we can't use. Shalom exists when our best is owned by our neighbour. Shalom is the interwovenness of a community's best. If my neighbour is in need, Shalom says that they own what I have. And so they should not be in need. This is not socialism or communism. This is Shalom. It's far more powerful than any political ideology or structure. In recent times, we've had the opportunity to understand more about what it means to have privilege. 
And I say opportunity because I know using the word privilege these days can elicit an immediate negative or defensive response. And I know I've personally felt that negative or defensive response at times when I've been accused of having privilege. But the more that I've reflected on it, the more that I've rested with that word, the more that I have no leg to stand on but to admit that I am amongst the most privileged in our world. You see, I was born into one of the most affluent countries in the world, a country that calls itself the lucky country. I personally belong to the culturally dominant gender, the culturally dominant ethnicity, and the culturally dominant religion. I grew up in what used to be called a nuclear family. I have health care and all the insurances that I need. I am well educated, as is my family. And as a family, we have, by international standards, a very comfortable lifestyle. I mean, we didn't even need to go out and panic buy toilet paper last week. We had more than a square to spare. Much more, I've realised that my privilege, and most of it that I have, I didn't have to do anything for. Some might say it was some sort of cosmic accident that I was born who I am, where I am, and it could have been very different if I was born somewhere else, into a different type of culture. And now, I am definitely not going to suggest, not going to suggest this, I don't believe that God designed or planned my privilege. But I am going to say that the book of Proverbs is very clear about how one with privilege should use their privilege. The expression, blessed to be a blessing, might sound trite, but it comes from the heart of shalom, wisdom, and justice. And to understand that more fully, we need to do a little bit more learning about Hebrew words. Proverbs uh, chapter 11, verses 10 to 11, is a passage that I've heard misused a number of times to justify what's known as a prosperity doctrine. And I personally can't substantiate that as I read through Scripture. But let's actually look at this passage and see what it means when we use the word righteous in a Hebrew context. Now, in 2021, we call somebody righteous who is moral and upright and says and does the right things, don't we? We call them righteous. But the Hebrew word that we use here for righteous is sadikim. So the sadikim, the sadikim righteous, were those who were willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. Just let that sink in a little bit. To be righteous, sadikim, is to be someone who will disadvantage themselves for the advantage of another, the wider community. So when you read this passage again, you can understand why a city is celebrating and rejoicing with the righteous. 
not because they say and do the right thing, not because of their status in life or their wealth or their influence, but because they disadvantage themselves for the advantage of the city. They live as if their best belongs not to themselves, but to those in need of their best, even to the point of their own loss. So I'm going to ask a difficult question. Is our church, are we, Sadi Kim righteous? Do we pursue shalom and work for justice when we see it unraveling? What actual difference would it make to our wider community if our church didn't exist at all? It's hard, isn't it? (laughs) It's not just an issue for our church. I think it's an issue for every single church. And until the wider church is a group and groups of people who bring their best for the advantage of others at the disadvantage of ourselves, then I think we've got no right to lament about our declining numbers. We've got not no right to, to... to to be upset when we hear criticism of the church in the media. We've got no right to worry about the increasing secularisation of society if we are not Sadi Kim righteous. Jesus says pretty clearly in Matthew 25, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. American Jesuit priest, Father James Martin, recently said these words. Here's what Jesus never said. Feed the hungry only if they have papers. Clothe the naked only if they're from your country. Welcome the stranger only if there is zero risk. Help the poor if it's convenient. Love your neighbour only if they look like you. Jesus is pretty clear. But are we living this? Now, I don't think we will have, just by helping the poor and the oppressed, an immediate relationship with God. The two don't correlate. Just because you do one thing doesn't mean that you've got a relationship with God. But I do think one of the ways that we measure the health of our relationship with God is looking at our attitude towards the poor and the oppressed. Because throughout Scripture, God clearly identifies with the poor and the oppressed. And God does this in pursuit of the way things ought to be. Shalom. And Jesus is saying in Matthew 25, if there's no shalom, then his followers need to do something about it. Feed the hungry. Give water to the thirsty. Welcome the stranger. Clothe the naked taking care of the sick and visiting the prisoners. There is a lot 
in the book of Proverbs that we need to wrestle with. There's a lot that we need to pay attention to, but I can't help but wonder whether paying attention to wisdom in care and justice should be our top priority. On the 1st of July, a couple of days ago, we celebrated the 150th anniversary of the coming of light, which was uh, the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people of the Torres Strait Islands. They celebrate this as a massive festival. And one of the things, the more I'm growing to understand our First Nations people, is that they powerfully understand this interwovenness of humanity and creation. They were so open to the good news of Jesus Christ because they can recognize the divine shalom in this interwovenness. The same interwoven shalom that the Hebrew peoples so powerfully have reflected in the book of Proverbs. Privileged white boys like me have got a lot to learn. I wonder, could this church have a DNA that is made up of an intimate, passionate pursuit of the way things ought to be? I wonder if we can be students of wisdom so that we can discern the unraveling of shalom in our families, in our church, in our communities, and in our world. I wonder if we can be amongst the first to stand up for justice, to work intentionally for the restoration of shalom. God gave God's best, Jesus, to us. Why would we even contemplate withholding our best from one another? People will always be asking these eternal questions. Who truly cares? Where is love? Where can I find hope? I pray that we can be the type of church that can answer these questions without using words. Because passionate pursuit of shalom is part of our DNA the DNA of creation, the DNA of followers of Jesus. It is our calling. Let me pray. Loving God, you've given us words that confront us and challenge us. May they change us as well. Soften our hearts where they have hardened. Make us aware of the opportunities in which we can be passionate pursuers of justice. Might we have a passionate commitment to bringing about shalom in our world. And may it start with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.